Welcome to The End of Innocence, The JFK Assassination. I'm your host, John Young. In last week's episode, we revisited Lee Harvey Oswald's movements immediately after the assassination. A few minutes after the shooting, Lee Oswald would leave the depository, catch a city bus. When that bus got tied up in traffic, he would then flag down a cab for the two-and-a-half-mile ride to his rooming house. The housekeeper, Miss Erling Roberts, said that Oswald arrived at the rooming house around 1.02 to 1.03 p.m. He went straight to his room, put on a jacket, and while he was in his room, she said a Dallas police car pulled up with two uniformed police officers in it, honked twice, and drove away. As soon as this event happened, Lee Oswald would rush out of the house, and Miss Roberts would last see him standing at the corner bus stop. By then, several messages had been broadcast describing a suspect in the shooting at Dealey Plaza as a slender white male in his early 30s, 5 foot 10 inches tall and weighing about 165 pounds. At approximately 1.11 to 1.14 p.m., nine-tenths a mile away from Oswald's rooming house, Officer J.D. Tippett was driving slowly on East 10th Street. He was about 100 feet past the intersection of 10th Street and Patton Avenue when he pulled alongside a man who resembled the police description. The man walked over to Tippett's car and exchanged words with him through an open vent window. Officer Tippett then opened his car door, and as he walked toward the front of his car, the man drew his handgun and fired three shots in rapid succession. All three bullets hit Tippett in the chest. The man would then walk over and shoot Tippett another time in his right temple. Last week, we looked at several witnesses of the Tippett shooting. One of those witnesses was Aquila Clemens, who lived on the north side of 10th Street in Dallas. Clemens was sitting on the porch of her house when she saw Officer J.D. Tippett killed. Afterwards, she claimed that there were two men involved in the attack on Tippett. She later testified in a television documentary that the gunman was a short guy and kind of chunky or heavy. Another witness, Domingo Benavidez, was driving his pickup truck along 10th Street in Oak Cliff when he claimed he saw the assailant kill J.D. Tippett. Benavidez then turned his truck into the curb and ducked under the dash. He was 20 feet from Tippett's squad car at the time of the shooting. He was not asked to see the police lineup in which Oswald appeared, although he later said the killer resembled newspaper pictures of Oswald. Today we will look at several other witnesses of the J.D. Tippett shooting, including the Warren Commission's star witness, Miss Helen Markham. The Warren Commission star witness to the shooting of Officer J.D. Tippett was a Dallas waitress named Helene Markham. She was supposedly the only person to see the shooting in its entirety. The official version accepted her as reliable and credited her with watching the initial confrontation between Tippett and his murderer. Ms. Markham admitted that when the shooting began, she put her hands over her face, peeping fearfully through her fingers as the murderer jogged away. Ms. Markham would make statements to the police that just did not make sense. She said she talked to Tippett, and he understood her until he was loaded into an ambulance. All the medical evidence and other witnesses say Tippett died instantly from the head wound. Domenico Benavidez, who saw the shooting from his pickup truck no more than 20 feet away, then got out to help the policeman put it graphically. He said, quote, He was lying there, and he had what looked like a big clot of blood coming out of his head, and his eyes were sunk back into his head. The policeman, I believe, was dead when he hit the ground, end quote. Miss Markham said it was 20 minutes before others gathered at the scene of the crime. That is clearly nonsense. Within minutes, men were in Tippett's car calling for help on the police radio, and a small crowd was there when the ambulance arrived three to four minutes later at 1.17 p.m. Miss Markham is credited with recognizing Oswald within three hours at the police station. It turns out that she was so hysterical at the police station that only after ammonia was administered could she go into the lineup room. 
When she appeared before the Warren Commission, Miss Markham repeatedly said she had been unable to recognize anyone at the lineup and changed her tune only after pressure from counsel. The star witness in the Tippett shooting was best summed up by Joseph Ball, senior counsel to the Warren Commission itself. In 1964, he referred in a public debate to her testimony as being, quote, full of mistakes, end quote, and to Miss Markham as an utter screwball. He dismissed her as utterly unreliable, the exact opposite of the Warren Report's verdict. This man was walking along the sidewalk on 10th Street. This police car was uh, driving very slow down 10th Street. What happened? Well, the man kept walking, just like I say, with his hands down in his head. He, I didn't pay him no mind, I didn't care. And this police car kept coming on, coming on, and finally he stopped, and the man stopped. And uh, whether the man, the policeman say, come over to the car, talk to him, I don't know, but he went. Was he on the driver's side or on the other side? On the other side. And did he stick his head in the window? Yes, sir. He folded his hands like this. He put them in through the window, up on the window, and he leaned over like this. What do you remember about this man? Was he a big man or a small man? No, he wasn't a very big man. He was short, kind of short, so I remember. Well, now, was he still standing there when Officer Tippett got out of the police car? Well, he got out, you know, taken out, got out of the window put his hands back down to his side and stepped back two steps. The policeman calmly opened the door. He calmly crawled out. And I, for me, I didn't pay no attention because I thought it was, you know, tall, friendly. Uh, and he, the policeman walked to the, got to the, he was the front wheel on the driver's side and this man shot him in the wink of the eye. Just bang, bang, bang. And what did this man who had shot the officer, what did he do as soon as he had shot him. Did he move back or did he run or what? No, he, he didn't uh, break out and run fast. He walked fast down the side, back towards me, and then he seen me. And then he done like this. And of course I did too, and then I slapped my finger, hands up on my face. But I couldn't scream. I couldn't move. But what does it do? Did he say anything at all to you? He did not. Uh, so I can tell you, I closed my eyes and my hands right there, and then I stayed there a few minutes. And I was going to look and see if he's gone or coming after me or what. And I opened my fingers. And I looked, and he was trotting off down across this lot up here. And uh, he wasn't even out of sight. He saw me go to the policeman. Now, he could have killed me, too. I knew I had to get help for this man. And I knew this police car, all police cars got radios in them. And I just, I'll do what I can. Get help this and I tried. Taxi cab driver William Scoggins testified that he was sitting nearby in his cab when he saw Tippett's police car pull up alongside a man on the sidewalk. Scoggins heard three or four shots and then saw Tippett fall to the ground. As Scoggins crouched behind his cab, the man passed within 12 feet of him, pistol in hand, muttering what sounded like to him, poor dumb cop or poor damn cop. The next day, Scoggins viewed a police lineup and identified Oswald as the man who he saw with the pistol. Barbara Davis and her sister-in-law, Virginia Davis, lived at 400 East 10th, when on November 22, 1963, shortly after 1 p.m., they heard a couple of gunshots. They were lying on the bed with their kids, heard the shots, and jumped out and ran out the front door. There, they saw a white slender man walking across their front yard unloading a pistol. They then saw and heard Helen Markham across the street yelling he shot him, he killed him, and pointed towards a police car parked just up the street. 
Barbara then ran back in the house and called the police. When the police arrived, they showed them where they had seen the man emptying his gun and they found a shell. After the police left, they found another shell in the bushes. They later turned that shell over to the police. At around 8 p.m. the same day, the police came and picked up both ladies, took them to the police lineup, and they identified Lee Harvey Oswald as the man they had seen emptying a gun and walking across their yard earlier that day. One of seven other eyewitnesses to the shooting was Jack Tatum. I was preparing to turn left on 10th Street from Denver. I noticed an individual walking in my direction with a light zipper jacket on, darker pants, and a squad car pulling over to the curb next to him. As, we, as I approached the squad car, I noticed that that individual was leaning over talking to the officer. He had both hands in the pockets of his jacket. I continued through the intersection, and about in the middle of the intersection, I heard three, maybe four shots. Researcher Dale Myers investigated the Tippett shooting. Killer gets to about this position on the sidewalk, and Tippett's patrol car pulls to the curb and either calls him over to the curb or the man comes over by himself and leans to the window and talks to Tippett through the vent window for 10 or 20 seconds, very short. And Tippett gets out of the patrol car and as he does, the man steps over to the front of the hood here and as Tippett gets opposite him, he pulls the gun from under the jacket, fires three shots across the hood, knocking Tippett to the pavement. And the man starts to leave, hesitates at the back of the car, walks around behind the car, comes up to the front of the car, stands over Tippett and shoots him in the head. He then looked around, surveyed the situation, and started a slow run toward my direction. I put my car in gear and drove forward and watched him through the rearview mirror. I saw him very clearly and uh, I realized that there was one thing that, that made him stand out, and that was his mouth that curled up. I couldn't mistake that. Kind of a, kind of a smile. Yes, kind of a smile. And I was within... 10, 15 feet of that individual, and it was Lee Harvey Oswald. A man by the name of T.F. Bally did not witness the shooting, but arrived just a few minutes after the shooting. He would be the man who radioed into the police headquarters that there had been a shooting at 10th and Patton. Mr. Bally would testify in front of the Warren Commission. He says, quote, On Friday, November 22, 1963, I picked up my daughter at R.L. Thornton School in Singing Hills about 12.55 p.m. I then left the school to pick up my wife, who was at work at the telephone company at Knight Street and Sing Street. I was headed north on Marcellus and turned west on 10th Street. I traveled about a block and noticed a Dallas police squad car stopped in the traffic lane headed east on 10th Street. I saw a police officer lying next to the left front wheel. I stopped my car and got out to go to the scene. I looked at my watch and it said 1.10 p.m. Several people were at the scene. When I got there, the first thing I did was to try to help the officer. He appeared to be beyond help. A man was trying to use the radio in the squad car, but stated he didn't know how to operate it. I know how and took the radio from him. I said, hello operator, a police officer has been shot here. 
The dispatcher asked for the location. I found out the location and told the dispatcher what it was. A few minutes later, an ambulance came to the scene. I helped load the officer onto the stretcher and into the ambulance. As we picked the officer up, I noticed his pistol lying on the ground under him. Someone picked up the pistol and laid it on the hood of his squad car. When the ambulance left, I took the gun and put it inside the squad car. A man then took the pistol out and said, let's catch him. He opened the cylinder and I saw that no rounds in it had been fired. This man then took the pistol with him and got into a cab and drove off. The police arrived and I talked to the police sergeant at the scene. I told him I did not witness the shooting and after questioning me, he said it was alright for me to leave. I then went to the telephone company office at 9th and Zang's and picked up my wife." End quote. One of the real problems with the Tippett murder is of the two witnesses that saw the shooting, the only one who positively identified Oswald as the killer was Helen Markham and her identification of him was extremely suspect. All the witnesses who eventually identified Oswald recognized him as the man they saw fleeing the scene, not actually committing the crime. And when you start investigating this, the real problem becomes, did Oswald have the time to kill Tippett? He left his rooming house at 1.06-1.07 p.m. and Tippett was shot as early as 1.14 or 1.15 p.m. There's no way that Oswald covered nine-tenths of a mile in six to seven minutes. Plus, he was not seen walking or running to the scene where the murder took place. I personally on numerous occasions tried to cover that distance on foot and it was impossible. It would have been hard for an Olympic sprinter to cover this distance in that amount of time. With no real knowledge of Tippett's background or associations and with a number of problems with several aspects of the evidence, the Warren Commission nevertheless concluded that Oswald was the killer based on four primary pieces of evidence. Two witnesses who saw the shooting and seven who saw a man fleeing positively identified Lee Harvey Oswald as the man they saw fire the shots or flee from the scene. The chief witness for the Warren Commission was Helen Markham, whose credibility even at the time of the commission was strained to the breaking point. Markham claimed to have even talked for some time with the dying Tippett, yet medical authorities said he was killed instantly. She said she saw Tippett's killer talk with the policeman through his patrol car's right-hand window, although pictures taken at the scene show that the window was shut. She was in hysterics at the time and even left her shoes on top of Tippett's car. Later in her testimony before the Warren Commission, Markham stated six times that she did not recognize anyone in the police lineup that evening. Furthermore, other witnesses at the scene, William Scoggins, Ted Calloway, and Emery Austin, even today, claim they never saw Mrs. Markham in the minutes immediately following the shooting. Cab driver Scoggins also identified Oswald that day, although Scoggins admitted that he did not actually witness the shooting and his view of the fleeing killer was obscured because he ducked down behind his cab as the man came by. Scoggins and cab driver William Whaley, who allegedly drove Oswald home that day, both viewed a Dallas police lineup composed of five young teenagers in Oswald. Whaley told the Warren Commission, quote, You could have picked Oswald out without identifying him by just listening to him, because he was bawling out the policemen, telling them it wasn't right to put him in the lineup with these teenagers, end quote. If Oswald's protests weren't enough to guide the witnesses in their identification of him, he also had bruises and a black eye. Furthermore, Oswald stated he was asked and gave his correct name and place of employment. By Friday evening, everyone in Dallas who attended the police lineups had heard that the shots were fired from the Texas School Book Depository. So when he gave his place of employment as a Texas School Book Depository, no, it wasn't hard to pick him out. These were the two star witnesses. Other witnesses, including Domingo Benavidez, the person closest to the killing, was never even asked to view a lineup, nor was he able to identify Oswald as a killer. 
Several other witnesses, including Aquila Clemens, who claimed two men were involved in the Tippett shooting but said she was threatened into silence by the Dallas police and FBI, were never questioned by federal investigators. The Warren Commission even denied her existence, claiming, quote, The only woman among the witnesses to the slaying of Tippett known to the Commission is Helen Markham, end quote. Markham purportedly initially said that Tippett's killer was short and stocky with bushy hair. This is the same description given by Clemens, who in a filmed interview said the killer was, quote, kind of short, kind of heavy, end quote. Warren Reynolds was also one of the people to see a man fleeing the scene of the murder. Reynolds is on the south side of Jefferson Boulevard, east of Patton Avenue, in a used car slot. He chased Tippett's killer, but eventually lost him. Initially, Reynolds stated that the man he saw was not Oswald. Reynolds was shot in the head two days after telling the FBI he could not identify Oswald. There was no apparent cause for the shooting. Reynolds recovered and later agreed he thought the fleeing gunman had been Oswald after all. Here's assassination researchers Penn Jones Jr. and Mark Lane talking about what Reynolds saw that day. A fellow named Warren Reynolds saw a man running from the scene of the Tippett slaying. Shortly thereafter, Reynolds was shot through the head. Now, before Reynolds was shot, he could not identify the man running from the scene as Oswald. Did Reynolds finally testify before the commission? After Reynolds recovered from his wound, he testified and was able to identify Oswald. Mr. Reynolds, where are you employed? At the Giant Reynolds Motor Company. And were you working there on November 22, 1963? Yes, sir. How close is the used car lot which you work to the scene of the tip of killing? One block. Were you there at about 1 o'clock on the 22nd? Yes, sir. And then what happened? What did you see? What did you hear? We were listening to the radio about the assassination, and we heard these shots, and we ran out on this porch, and we saw this gunman running up the street, and I followed him for a block until I lost him, and then I was going back to the used car lot, and this policeman stopped me and asked me what had happened, and I, I told him that I had seen this man with a gun, and I had followed him, and I lost him, so he took the description and my name stuff like that and while I was talking to him some television camera was taking the pictures and after that I went on back to the used car lot were you questioned by agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation or the United States Secret Service during November 1963 no I sure wouldn't were you questioned by FBI agents or Secret Service agents during December 1963 no sir were you questioned by FBI agents or Secret Service agents during January 64? Yes, sir, I was. When was that, sir? That was on January the 21st. Two agents come out and they talked to me and asked me what I had seen. And I told them, and they showed me three pictures. You were questioned by agents of the FBI on January 21st, 64. Then what happened? Two days after that, as I was closing up to use car lot one night, uh, when I went downstairs to turn off the lights, some gunman was hidden down there and he shot me. He shot me through the glasses 
right here, and the bullet lodged right over here. Mr. Reynolds, who knew about your questioning by the FBI between the time that you were actually questioned by them and the time that you were shot two days later? Just friends and, of course, my family. The commission concluded on page 663 of its report that it was wild speculation for anyone to think that there might have been a connection between the fact that you were shot in January and the fact that you observed the gunman flee from the tippet scene. Ted Calloway was a car dealer at Harris Brothers Auto Sales, located at 501 East Jefferson Boulevard in Dallas. About 45 minutes after the assassination, Ted was standing on the front porch and suddenly he heard four or five pistol shots. It was coming from 10th Street and Patton Street. Then he ran out to the sidewalk and he saw a man holding a pistol and start running from the front yard across the street, which is the west side of Patton Street. He was on the east side of Patton Street and saw this man holding a pistol in his hand on the west side of Patton Street. Then he said, quote, hey man, what the hell's going on, end quote. And the man said something to him that Ted couldn't understand. Then the man runs from this front yard towards 10th West Jefferson Boulevard Street to the Texas Theater. After the shooting, he ran towards the corner of 10th Street and Patton Street, and he saw a police car and Officer Tippett lying on the ground dead. Then he leaned over to feel the officer's pulse from his throat. Then he went into the police car and used the police radio, saying that the officer was killed. Then, on the night of the assassination, Calloway went to a lineup at Dallas Police Headquarters with four people, and he identified Lee Harvey Oswald as the man he saw fleeing the scene of the Tippett murder. Around the corner, Ted Calloway was tending to business at his used car lot. Well, Eddie, I was uh, quite upset and excited, I guess, over the shooting of the president, and I was just standing on the front porch of our used car lot office, and uh, I heard some shooting. What sounded to me like five shots coming from the back of our office in the direction of 10th Street over here. And uh, as soon as I heard the shooting, well, I come running off the porch out here on the Patton Street, out here on the sidewalk. And I looked up the street toward, that's 10th Street right there, and uh, I could see this uh, man running across the uh, sidewalk in the back of the taxi cab over to the other side of Patton Street right here. Where was he holding this gun when you saw him? I didn't notice the gun until he was on the other side of the street and running in this direction. Now, when he came down here, and you say he stopped where, about uh, over there in front of that house? Yes, sir, about 40, 45 feet away. I could see clearly he had this pistol in what we used to, in the Marine Corps, call the raised pistol position. And uh, he was, he wasn't on a, a dead run, but a good fast trot. And uh, I noticed that he was very pale. He was just deathly white. And uh, I hollered at him. I said, man, what in the hell is going on? And he almost stopped and said something to me, which I could not understand, and uh, faced in my direction, still with a pistol in this position, and then continued on down Jefferson in a good, fast trot. Mr. I mean, down, not down Jefferson, down Pat. What did you do, Mr. Calloway, after this man ran around the corner? Where did you go? I ran down in the direction of the shooting, down toward Patton and 10th Street, and when I rounded the corner, I could see a squad car there. And by this time, there's... Two or three or four women had uh, gathered around, and I saw Officer Tippett laying in the street. Uh, I could tell by looking at him that he was dead. Uh, he was laying on his pistol. He had drawn his pistol. His uh, strap on his holster was uh, unsnapped, and uh, 
I imagine that he had drawn his pistol while he was falling because it was, he was laying on, under his left side. So I, I uh, took the pistol from under him and laid on top of the hood of the squad car. And then I ran to the squad car and called in on the radio, told them that an officer had been shot. And uh, they said that someone else had already reported No one really knows the exact moment of the shooting of Dallas Police Officer J.D. Tippett. The Warren Commission concluded that it was just before 1.16 p.m. It was critical for the Commission to set the time of the shooting as late as possible, because if Tippett was shot before 1.16, it would have been impossible for Lee Oswald to have made it from his rooming house to the scene of the shooting quickly enough to have committed the murder. The Warren Commission endorsed the testimony of Earlene Roberts that Lee reached the rooming house at about 1.03 p.m. in unusual haste. How accurate was her testimony? She stated that he entered the house after a friend phoned to tell her that the president had been shot. The first televised announcement came at 12.58 p.m. on NBC TV. Roberts turned the television on and, as we have seen, was watching it when Lee came in. She exclaimed, Oh, you're in a hurry. She stated that Lee didn't respond, but went to his room and stayed for a maximum of three to four minutes. Lee came into the rooming house in short sleeves, but when he left, she said he was wearing a jacket. After Oswald left, Robert looked out the front window and saw him standing near the bus stop in front of the house at the east side of Beckley Avenue, apparently waiting for a bus heading north. This does not jibe with the fact that if he had gotten on that bus, it would have taken him away from the location of the Tippett murder, not toward it. No bus in the area picked Oswald up that day other than the bus that he called immediately after the assassination near Dealey Plaza. The Warren Report states, quote, Oswald was seen about nine-tenths of a mile away at the southeast corner of 10th Street and Patton Avenue moments before the Tippett shooting, end quote. It also states that the shooting took place at 1.16 p.m., the time that a private citizen reported the shooting over Tippett's squad car radio. The commission states that the radio call was made by Domingo Benavides, who, quote, stopped and waited in the truck until a gunman ran to the corner, end quote. Then, he reported the killing of Patrolman Tippett at 1.16 p.m., but we know from Benavidez's testimony that he did not know how to work the car radio. This official version of the events contains two distinct inconsistencies. First, if Domingo Benavides had waited for the killer to leave the scene of the shooting like he stated he did before trying to make the radio call, then the shooting must have occurred prior to 1.16 p.m. Second, Benavidez never even made the call in the first place. The call was made by T.F. Bally. The commission members were aware of Bally's role, but he was never called as a witness. According to Jim Mars in his book Crossfire, which was published in 1989, on February 18, 1986, Bally stated that he was, quote, driving past the scene after picking my daughter from school to go on holiday. I checked her out of school at 12.55 p.m. because I had to write the time in the school's logbook. As he got to the Tippett shooting site, he looked at his watch. It was only 1.10 p.m. The Warren Commission allowed Oswald from shortly after 1 p.m. until 1.16 p.m. to travel nine-tenths of a mile from North Beckley at Zang to 10th and Patton. They determined that if he had walked at a brisk pace, he could have made it. But taking Erlene Roberts' testimony that Oswald left three to four minutes after 1 p.m. and Domingo Benavides' statements that the shooting took place at approximately 1.14 p.m., the Warren Commission's 16 minutes is reduced to nine or ten minutes. If Bally's statement is considered, the time available is reduced to five or six minutes, making it impossible for Lee Oswald to have killed Officer Tippett. 
On several occasions, myself and other researchers have tried covering the distance from Oswald's rooming house to the Tippett shooting scene. In the ten minutes or less, it would have had to take Oswald if he had shot Tippett. It takes six to seven minutes to drive this distance in a car. There is no way Oswald could have covered this distance on foot in ten minutes or less. We're not talking about a distance like running across the street. This is a mile journey, which seems like ten miles, and Lee Oswald was no Olympic distance runner. One potential problem with the Bally Watch scenario is the possibility that Bally's watch might have been running slow, and we need cooperation from other witnesses that the shooting occurred at 1.10 p.m. Assassination researcher Dave Perry observes that there are two witnesses who provide such cooperation, Domingo Benavides and Helen Markham. First, there's Benavides' statement that he waited in his pickup truck for a few minutes until the killer left the scene. Benavides then ran to the squad car where he could not make the radio work and waited for Bally to make the call. By the time Bally finally made the call, it was, according to the police log, 1.16 p.m. The direct quote from the transcript of the police dictabelt recording of the call is as follows, quote, 1.16 p.m. Go ahead, citizen, using the police radio. The citizen then said, we have had a shooting here, end quote. However, the Warren Commission was originally given an edited transcript by the police. After many requests, they finally obtained the unedited transcript, which revealed that the 1.16 p.m. broadcast was made earlier, at 1.14 p.m. Therefore, the shooting probably occurred earlier than 1.14 p.m. Secondly, Helen Markham, when questioned about the time of which she observed the tip and murder, answered, I wouldn't be afraid to bet it wasn't six or seven minutes after 1 p.m. Even after maneuvering by the Warren Commission, this key witness never could confirm the time of the shooting as 1.16 p.m. The Warren report states, quote, Her description and that of other eyewitnesses led to the police broadcast at 1.22 p.m. This was the time of the police broadcast of the notification of Tippett's shooting. No one on the Warren Commission ever questioned Markham about how she reached her conclusion about the time. Why was Markham at 10th and Patton in the first place? She was walking to a bus stop to catch her usual bus to go to work. Markham should have been asked whether she was on time to catch the bus, which was due at 1.12 p.m. Markham waited for traffic to pass before crossing 10th Street to the bus stop. The traffic consisted of Domingo Benavidez's pickup truck and a red Ford Falcon driven by witness Jack Tatum, both heading west on 10th Street, and Officer Tippett's patrol car heading east. The bus stop was located at the northeast corner of Jefferson Boulevard and Patton Street, one block away. The distance between the two points, 10th Street at Patton and Jefferson Boulevard and Patton Street, was approximately 475 feet. Walking at a normal rate, it would have taken Helen Markham 1 minute and 25 seconds to reach the bus stop. She would need to have been at 10th and Patton prior to 1.10 p.m. and to have crossed 10th Street without stopping to have caught the 1.12 p.m. bus. Since the Warren Commission believed and stated that she had waited for traffic, she had to have arrived at 10th Street before 1.10 p.m., the exact time shown on Bally's watch. This also permits the time required Benavides to have waited for the gunman to leave. The most probable time of the tippet shooting is then 1.10 or 1.11 p.m. Erlene Roberts testified that Oswald left the house between 1.04 and 1.05 p.m. Allow that, it would take Oswald 30 seconds to get to the corner bus stop, where he was seen standing still and facing in the opposite direction. He would have had traveled nine-tenths of a mile in only four or five minutes. The average runner in training will take seven to nine minutes to run a mile. During their investigation, the authorities conducted a complete house-to-house -house inquiry on Beckley Avenue. Not a single witness saw Oswald or anyone running, jogging, or hurrying that day. 
No testimony or statements show that the killer had been in a hurry before the shooting. In fact, Helen Markham saw the police car approach the suspect slowly from the rear. Thus established, a time frame of six or seven minutes makes it clear that Oswald could not have killed Officer Tiffett. Most serious researchers of the Tippett incident now believe that his death may have had no connection with the Kennedy assassination at all. And of the researchers who still believe such a connection exists, few cling to the belief that Oswald was a killer. Is it possible that Tippett was killed by someone whose intention was to implicate Lee Oswald in the president's assassination? Regardless of who actually killed Officer Tippett, that event was the catalyst which set off a flurry of police activity in Oak Cliff, resulting in the arrest of Lee Harvey Oswald that day. Next week on the end of Innocence, the JFK assassination, we pick up Lee Harvey Oswald's trail as he heads inside the Texas theater. Was it possible that Lee Oswald was in the theater at the time of the J.D. Tippett shooting? Was Jack Ruby at the theater? Was Lee Harvey Oswald arrested on the first floor or the second floor in the balcony? Was he taken out the front of the theater or the back of the theater? We'll cover this all next week. We'll see you then.